0: Tom Rosenblum is a historian with the National Park Service in Topeka, Kansas. He helps to run the Brown v. Board of Education National Historic Site, which commemorates the foundational 1954 Supreme Court ruling that ended legalized segregation in U.S. public schools. A few years ago, if you had asked Mr. Rosenblum what artifact he would most like to have in his Brown v. Board museum, he would have given you a slightly strange answer—a baby doll. Why? Well, here's how the museum's website explains it. Children's toys rarely feature in decisions issued by the U.S. Supreme Court of the United States. Yet a humble set of baby dolls, too black, too white, played a pivotal role in what many have termed the most important legal ruling of the 20th century. Brown v. Board of Education ended the doctrine of separate but equal in public schools, and it laid the legal foundation to challenge segregation in every arena. This decision was a watershed moment in the civil rights movement, a moment that set the stage for everything that came after. So what's a baby doll doing in the middle of it? To answer that question, you need to meet Kenneth and Mamie Clark, two American psychologists who were interested in how segregation and racism affected children. In the 1940s, the Clarks ran a series of experiments involving black and white baby dolls, in order to examine the effects of segregation on children of color. These experiments are popularly known today as the Clark-Dahl tests, and the results of those experiments ended up being an important part of the Brown ruling. The Dahl tests are famous, so famous that you might take their importance for granted. But if you look closely, you'll find that the Dahl tests tell us a lot about the assumptions underlying Brown v. Board and the politics of children's culture then and now. That's what we'll be exploring today in this episode of Death and Numbers, a podcast created by the Humanities Media Project in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. I'm Caroline Pinkston. The doll tests were born from Mamie Clark's research for her master's thesis at Howard University. When Mamie completed her thesis in 1939, the Clarks received a grant to continue her work. It was during this time that the bulk of the doll test took place. The Clarks did research all over the country, in the North and the South, in big cities and rural communities, in places where segregation was the norm and places where it wasn't. And wherever they went, they put African-American children through a series of experiments to learn about their awareness of racial prejudice and their own sense of identity and self-esteem. There were actually a lot of different tests involved in this research. Researchers would show the children pictures of other kids, black and white, and ask them to point to the picture that they liked the best, or the one that looked most like them. There was also a coloring test, where kids were asked to color in certain shapes and objects, like an apple or a leaf or a mouse. And then they would be asked to color in a picture of a little boy or girl, with instructions like, color this little boy the color you like little boys to be. But only one part of these tests has remained famous today, and those are the doll tests. So, what were they? Researchers would hand a child two baby dolls, identical in every way, except that one was black and one was white, and they would give the children the following prompts. Give me the doll you like to play with or like best. Give me the doll that is a nice doll. Give me the doll that looks bad. Give me the doll that is a nice color. Give me the doll that looks like a white child. Give me the doll that looks like a colored child. Give me the doll that looks like a Negro child. These prompts were designed to do two things. Some were designed to show that the children had preferences about the dolls, that they liked one doll better, or they had positive or negative associations with the dolls. And some prompts were designed to show that the children knew how to relate the dolls to race that they knew that the dolls represented white and black children, not just random colors. Most black children indicated that they preferred to play with the white doll, and most identified the white doll as nice and the black doll as bad. This evidence alone would have been a big deal, but there was one last question that formed the real heart of the experiment. Dr. Kenneth Clark said that this prompt was the most disturbing, the one that really made him, even as a scientist, upset. That prompt came last, and it was this. Give me the doll that looks like you. Why was this so disturbing? Here's how Dr. Clark describes it. Many of the children were emotionally upset at having to identify with the doll that they had rejected. Some of them would walk out of the room or refuse to answer that question. And this we interpreted as indicating that color in a racist society was a very disturbing and traumatic component of an individual's sense of his own self esteem or worth. The Clarks started publishing the results of their research. Somewhere along the way, those publications came to the attention of Thurgood Marshall, lead attorney for the NAACP, and he recruited the Clarks to get involved with his work. Kenneth Clark testified in several of the lower court cases that eventually led to Brown v. Board. And the NAACP submitted a statement and report from Clark to the Supreme Court. When the 1954 Brown v. Board decision was handed down, the opinion of the court only mentioned the Clarks by name briefly, in footnote 11, to be exact. But a footnote in one of the most important Supreme Court decisions ever was enough to cement the place of these experiments in history. But the importance of the tests was hardly taken for granted at the time. In fact, Thurgood Marshall was wandering into uncertain territory when he recruited the clerks. You see, through Brown v. Board, the NAACP was trying to overturn the doctrine of separate but equal, which said it was okay to have segregated schools as long as they were equal in quality, with equal funding, equal resources, and so on. Of course, that was almost never the case. But the NAACP was out to prove that equalizing wasn't enough, that separate but equal would never be good enough because there was something inherently harmful and unjust about segregation. To do that, they had to prove that segregation hurt children, that sending kids to segregated schools was damaging even if those schools had all the funding and resources in the world. That meant they had to prove that a kid's social environment could do real harm to his psyche. And that's where the clerks came in. And they succeeded. Here's the opinion of the court. We come then to the question presented. Does segregation of children in public schools, solely on the basis of race, even though the physical facilities and other tangible factors may be equal, deprive the children of the minority group of equal educational opportunities? We believe that it does. The justices argued that segregation instills a sense of inferiority into children of color, which made it difficult for those children to learn. And they supported that claim by saying, this finding is amply supported by modern authority. That's where footnote 11 came in. But what's easy to overlook today is that proving all of this in 1954 involved diving into some pretty newfangled research about developmental psychology and the politics of culture. For example, another expert witness in the court cases that led to Brown v. Board was Frederick Wortham, a social scientist who was obsessed with proving that comic books were damaging to children. Now it is said, also in connection with this question of who reads comic books and who is affected by them, it is said that children from secure homes are not affected. Mr. Chairman... As long as the crime comic book industry exists in its present forms, there are no secure homes. Can you resist infantile paralysis in your own home alone? Mustn't you take into account the neighbor's children? When Wortham testified for the NAACP, he was mainly talking about research he was doing with children at a clinic in Harlem, not comic books. But it's not actually that easy to separate the two because both were related to a central idea that Wortham and the Clark shared. And that was the idea that culture matters, that what someone reads or watches or the messages they receive from their peers and their community can actually have an effect on the kind of person they grow up to be. If the idea that comic books are corrupting society seems a little dated, the other point of all this expert testimony, that a racist society is harmful to children of color, seems like common sense today. But at the time, it wasn't clear that any of it would be taken seriously. Not everyone wanted Thurgood Marshall to use the Clarks' research. According to historian Michael Beschloss, some lawyers warned Marshall that the justices would be offended if they were subjected to tales about dolls and wailing children. According to Beschloss, after the Brown decision was announced, Marshall toasted the Clarks at a celebratory dinner and demanded of his colleagues now apologize. Over the next few decades, the Clarks slowly gained more and more attention for the role their tests had played in the Brown decision. Today, the tests are so well-known as shorthand for the effects of racism that in 2012, Anderson Cooper repeated similar tests on CNN as part of a four-part series on contemporary racial biases. Do you remember, you were asked, what, what skin color do you want? Do you remember which one you said? Yeah, that one. Which one? This one. Why do you want that skin color? Because... I don't know, I just, I don't know. Not sure? No. What do you think of that skin color? Well, it looks kind of whitish, and that's all I remember. Yeah. Yeah. What too. you? Why, why do you want that skin color? Because it looks lighter than this kind, because this looks a lot like that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just don't like the way brown looks, because the way brown looks looks really nasty for some reason, but I don't know what reason. And that's all. So you think it looks nasty? Well, not really, but sometimes. Sometimes. While the doll tests are famous today, though, they also face a new kind of skepticism. Not everyone agrees that the results of those original experiments are as simple or as clear as they originally seemed. On the next episode of Death in Numbers, we'll be returning to some of those questions. While the legacy of the doll test continues to be debated, though, the dolls themselves disappeared. Apparently, Kenneth Clark gave the dolls to one of his students, who then gave it to someone else to give to their kids, at which point the dolls were pretty much lost. That was true at least until a few years ago, when Tom Rosenblum, the historian with the Brown v. Board Museum in Topeka, got a surprising phone call. On the other end was someone in possession of one of the original black dolls used in the test. Today, it's on display at the Brown v. Board Museum, rightfully claiming its place in history. This has been Death and Numbers, a podcast created and produced by the Humanities Media Project in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin and Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. I'm Caroline Pinkston. Notes for the show, including links and photos, can be found on our website, humanitiesmediaproject.org. Excerpt from Frederick Wortham's testimony on comic books for the Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, courtesy of the New York City Municipal Archives. Our theme music is Enthusiast by Tours. Thank you for listening.